Hi there, you are listening to the SIB Investing Podcast, where we discuss everything and anything finance or business related. SIMP stands for Simplified Integrity, Meaning and Prudence. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at SIMP Investing. Before we begin, we would like to put out a disclaimer. The information and content discussed does not constitute financial advice and serves as education or entertainment purposes only. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about the different types of investing, pros and cons of each, and what who we think will be best suited for uh, the respective style. So this is important because I think in all, in all aspects of life, we have to find something that we are best suited to do. For example, if you're a basketball player, you may not necessarily have the um, skill set or the build to play as a center, but you're better suited for a point guard. Same thing goes for investing in our opinion. So without further ado, the number one uh, different style of investing and probably the most, uh, I would say, one of the more popular ones is fundamental and value investing. So this style of investing requires the individual or, or the respective investor to deep dive into the company specifically. So it requires the investor to research into things such as the company's financial health. For example, it's uh, cash flow statements, it's revenue, it's growth rates, it's uh, margins, etc. and any trends in them. Secondly, it will be look will be looked at the business modes of the company. So this would, uh, in a sense, uh, entails things such as patents, for example, and also market share, and any uh, product edge that they have over others. Thirdly, we will look at management as well. So I think um, this will entails the perhaps the board of directors, the C suites, the leadership of the company. So this is very important because. We think that the leadership and management of the company sets the cadence and also the culture of the company, and this will affect its uh, run rate and its longevity in terms of producing uh, innovative products into the future. And um, third, and fourthly, we'll look at the growth drivers. For so, for instance, there could be any economic uh, incentives to boost the company further, or any specific policies by the governments to boost the company's specific demands for products, etc. And all of this would uh, form the foundation and core of your investment thesis. So this, uh, although, that, uh, although the fundamental investors, they look a lot into the company, right? So what is more important, right? Is also to be protective of the downsides as well. So um, this would look into any uh, change of the company's management products, modes, for example, and also to be wary of them constantly. And this form of investing also takes into account greatly the valuation matrix of the company. So I think uh, many sort of like the, the non-newbie investors will heard of the valuation ratio, such as the price to earning, price to sales, price to book. So this, this ratio basically looks at the, uh, the value of the company based on what people are pricing them on the, say, the operating matrix of the company in terms of their sales and also the profits. And one very prominent investor in this space is Warren Buffett. I think everybody heard of him. He and Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, they're, they're, like, they're like the grandfather of value investing. So this style of investing requires a lot of patience and discipline. And most importantly, a lot of conviction in your research. And uh, this, this requires you to do a lot of homework uh, to understand the company in and out. And sometimes even extend towards understanding the industry as, as well. So this style of investing usually is longer term. Um, you can hold the companies for, say, months or even years or even decades. 
if you or if you're like Warren Buffett himself, uh, you will hold it with without the intention to ever sell it. Yep. So, and this style of investing, right? Usually, the investor do not hold a lot of stocks. So, so I would think um, a a fine number will be between ten to fifteen, depending on how much time you have to allocate and devote to your portfolio and keeping up with all the respective companies' developments. And any thoughts, Jonathan? Yeah, there's one thing that you guys need to know, right? Like when you are a value investor, what you want to do is to buy a company uh, below the intrinsic value. Am I correct? Yes. Benson? Yes. What? Yeah. That's the, the entire the, the entire uh, approach. Yeah. So the entire thesis is basically you guys have to find companies where the price of the actual stock itself is below what the company is actually worth, right? That's how you make money. So that if the company's value actually appreciates over time, then you are able to make money from that. Right, so remember, value investing is just finding out what what the values of the companies are, and if you think that it is below that intrinsic value, then go and take a position, go and buy some stocks in it. Right, this this will help you make money over time. Right, it's not that complicated, honestly, and um, yeah, so that is fundamental and value investing. Sec- the second style of investing, uh, which I think is so very popular, especially among like re- normal retail investors, sorry, investors and traders, is technical analysis. So I- I'm sure that. Uh, most of us have also seen like all these chart patterns, the candlesticks, etc. So these are the type of traders that rely on price action and chart movements. So they look into things such as the patterns of the different candles, the volumes of each candle, and perhaps they use different indicators as well, such as, uh, for instance, uh, moving averages, the stochastic and the RSI. So all these indicators, uh, they're very fancy in name, but I think all of them essentially is based on mathematical formulas, which is a bit, a little too intricate to go through in this podcast but the essence of um technical analysis is also discipline and the pra- and practicing important risk management techniques so these traders right they would uh, be very strict with their entries and also their exits of a certain trade so they are very um they stick to the plan their trade plans and when it's time to cut they will cut they'll take a loss but the thing is every loss they, they take right it's only a certain percentage of the portfolio for example one to two percent. So this gives this gives them longevity into the game, and whenever they make a winning trade, uh, it will more or less cover any losses prior, or even make them even more money along the way. So this is how they grow their accounts essentially. So technical analysis, I think the traders they uh, usually operate on many different time frames, right? So there are things such as swing trading, which uh, which uh, essentially needs you to hold the portfolio for sorry the trade for say a few days to perhaps even a few weeks. Some of them even operate on the hours time frame. So some of them, they're like intraday traders, right? They'll get in and out within the same trading day. And some of them even go into the extent of trading like within minutes. So the most important thing of uh, trading using technical analysis is to not get married to the positions, be extremely disciplined, have a trade plan and stick to it. Any thoughts? Are you a technical chartian yourself? Yeah, so uh, I actually kind of know how to do technical analysis, although I won't say I'm an expert. But the thing is, after a while, I realized that uh, technical analysis is like you are doing very, very short-term trades, which means that uh, you're not taking long-term positions. So if you don't have time to actually invest or learn trading, I definitely think you should not do technical analysis trading. You should do more value investing. And so technical analysis, I feel, is uh, important sometimes if you just want to understand like how uh, the patterns like Fibonacci sequence uh, your moving averages, like just some technical aspects to see how to actually enter a position. And I don't think it should be for most people. And um, if you really think about it, like most day traders or most swing traders are actually 
losing money anyways. So normal people shouldn't do technical analysis. That's my opinion. I mean, the the people doing TA could hate me for this on this podcast, but <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it's for everyone. And I, it's just, it's basically a tool set, right? It's a skill set. It's like, hey, if you know this, it, it can be applied in real life, but it's not the end all be all. Yeah, I share the same thoughts. It requires a lot of devotion to the craft. And uh, yeah, if you don't have the stomach to bear like the short-term volatility and at the same time, you know, like to play the volatility, I think perhaps technical analysis is not for you. So moving on to the um, the third style of investing, which is called sector rotation. So this essentially is a thematic approach to investing, right? So you play themes. So for instance, right, like during the COVID period, after the COVID period, uh, there was a whole um, boost into the work from home related stocks, especially tech stocks. So perhaps if you if you believe in that theme, you write it, I think you have made a, little, a, a big bunch of money. And after that, right, um, there is sort of like the inflation um, theme going on where there's a lot of inflation, inflationary fears and how the Federal Reserve may have missed their, their mark in terms of them constantly enforcing that it's transitory. So if you, if you play that theme, I think you will invested in a lot of like uh, commodities related names for example the oil majors etc and then i think you would have made some uh, bank as well so even like today's climate right you look at all the tech stocks being down and the inflation is still persisting uh and you see like the um all the commodities related they're holding very well despite like you know some of your favorite growth tech names like c for example being massively down so this is another approach to um investing so it requires you to understand and also believe uh, and have conviction into which new sector is going to come up and then you re- rotate your portfolio and your capital holdings accordingly and so typically they look to enter like before you think the cycle is going to come and exit perhaps near when everyone is coming to pile on to the trades and then you just you know hand them your bags so uh yeah so this this i think uh this style of investing requires you to have like a some very deep foresight. form of knowledge or yeah, uh, foresight, perhaps uh, some on the ground knowledge on the specific industry. So if you work, you work in shipping, right, you'll know that tanker rates and uh, freight rates are rising, right? You, you get first-hand knowledge before the different uh, retail investors. So you know, like, you know, it's going to come up, right? The earnings of these companies are going to be solid. And then you, you just allocate accordingly. So I think to, to do very well in this sector rotation, style of uh, investing you need to know your macro games very well you need to know the economy and for example and also you need to have some deep dive industry knowledge to know when it's time for the industry to run and when it's time for it to maybe cool down yeah do yeah. you like this, this style of investing or uh, um so i mean sector is very it's like you're basically trying to predict the future and you could totally be wrong so i think we only hear about the people who do it successfully because nobody wants to share their losses uh, so <laughs> yeah, I mean sure, it's, sure. it's a great way of investing I mean if, if you actually do make money but if you don't it's, it's more like uh, I won't say gambling but like a calculated risk and a calculated bet so yeah, it's yep. definitely not for uh, it's not um, it doesn't adhere to the simp philosophy <laughs> yeah <laughs> basically yeah right this, this requires you to do a lot more research you really need to understand that you need to place bets right before things happen yep. there's no validation you, you could exactly. bet you could enter after the valuation but then um you of course the, the the bulk of the mid is really gone before then yeah you could yeah. be totally right and look like a god right but yeah. you could be totally wrong <laughs> and nobody knows and then you just like stuck there holding banks <laughs> exactly exactly okay so the fourth style of investing is macro related um type of investing and trading so this takes into account like 
you take into account geopolitical news, for example, like the Russian uh, Ukraine conflict, and any um, so for, and even the COVID outbreak itself is also a lot of a macro thing. So this type this traders here will take into account like the indicators, economic indicators, for example, the interest rates, the um, employment rates, inflationary rates, to to integrate into their trading plans, right? So and this trading usually uh, covers a lot more asset classes. So you go into things such as uh, currencies. Uh, commodities or even cryptocurrencies right during the um the whole covid after the covid uh stimulus packages you see that um, money printing is extremely excessive so people will think that bitcoin because of its scarcity and also um it's perceived image of store of value right so they got pushed as a narrative that is actually inflationary hedge so prices got bumped up but uh i actually don't know if it is a lot tangible and long and a sustainable thesis because you see uh, how Bitcoin is extremely volatile and it's also quite uh, correlated to the Nasdaq. So uh, is it an inflationary hedge? Um, still too early to tell in my opinion. So, but then if as time goes past, I think uh, as it gets more adopted and maybe validated, it could be a uh, true inflationary hedge. And this, this style of uh, macro trading and investing, right? This account correlations as well. So, for example, if you believe that oil prices will rise in the future and you look at some of the countries that are uh, heavily uh, dependent on oil and produce a lot of oil, for example, Canada, if, if oil is strong, I think the Canadian dollars will have pretty much a lot of movements along the way. So you would have placed your, your uh, positions accordingly based on correlations as well. So what some very prominent names in this in, uh, in this, sec, this in this style of investing will include traders like Paul Tudor Jones or maybe Drunken uh, drunken Stanley Miller and yeah so these are the guys that um, you know they're not married to the positions that they get in and out fast and uh, they practice very important risk management as well yeah and any thoughts yeah but so can, can I ask right so what's the difference between sector rotation and macro because macro feels like the way you're describing it is like uh, there's geopolitical news there's upcoming current events right so you're you're just changing your strategy based on uh, the world, like what's happening in the world, right? So what's the difference between the, the two? I think uh, the difference is actually very minimal. It essentially is based on the same underlying uh, principles of like catching the next um, economic change or sector change. But the thing is, I think for sector rotation, right, perhaps it's more focus and niche. As for example, if you're into shipping, you go for shipping stocks. And uh, if you're going to tech, you're going to tech stocks. But I think macro, right, it's more like a bigger picture kind of thing. So you would jump from like oil to uh to stock indices, for example. It's not as uh, it's not as niche as sector rotation into the specific industry. That's my thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And moving on to the six style of investing, which I think is a favorite of anybody who got into the markets recently uh, in light of the whole COVID situation, work from home, and it got all these names such as Robin Hood and uh, Tiger Brokers coming up, gaining popularity, which makes uh, investing very accessible is growth investing, right? So here we look into fast growing tech names. So usually tech, tech companies will be fast growing. And this style of investing, usually valuation matrix, right? you just you just throw them out the window. You don't care about them because it, most of these companies, they're, they're not really profitable at this point of stage of their, their, their company life cycle. Yep. So it's very dependent on the top line of the accounting balance sheet, which is revenue, as opposed to the bottom line, which is the net profit or perhaps even cash flows. 
So for some examples, will include like uh, Teladoc, C, Palantir, etc. Your Cathy Woods uh, favorites, right? So so these companies, right? Uh, they they grow very fast. So their their price to sales sometimes it's really really like uh, it looks unrealistic at first, right? So these companies just run and run and run and run and run up straight. Like as you can see from 2020 and uh, perhaps uh, some part of 2021. So, but the thing is, right, when um, shit hits the fan, like when the in, the Fed is looking to raise interest rates at perhaps a more uh, faster scale, and also they're pulling back their on their, um, their all the stimulus packages, this is when you see like these companies get punished valuation wise, and uh, this is interesting because, uh, like I also made the mistake of investing into these growth names, thinking that. Well, they can sustain your growth forever, but no, <laughs> I got I got punished. There's one one name is uh that I invested in is Pinterest, which um I thought right, yeah would would grow that sustain your growth rates. But then after when when people start going back to work, right, then you can see that their their user growth is starting to to uh stall. And once this growth company's name, once once the investors see that their growth is stalling, right, it's gonna get punished severely, man. If you look at um Amazon. Amazon's earnings, right? They are, they started to slow their growth, and they even reported a negative, I think, earnings per share, uh, for for Q one twenty twenty two. And look what happened. The stock, I think, I think dropped like uh, ten to twelve percent overnight. Yeah, I bought some. Yeah, this is oof. <laughs> About two. <laughs> yeah. So, if you if you catch all these growth investing names, there's a lot of money to be made, right? Because it's technically investing for the future. But right when shit hits the fan, uh, a lot of these companies will not exist after the uh, cycle expires, right? So not, not all these companies have business models that is sustainable and feasible without the growth at off cost model. So this many of these companies will start to default. So I think the key is right to survive this kind of uh, this kind of carnage is to invest in this type of growth names, right? That can that you see make sense in business wise, right? Their unique economics, etc. It makes sense for them to uh to become profitable one day and cash flow positive. Otherwise, I think uh it's very dangerous, and you're you're just playing like a gambling game, right? So these companies need to have a good map to profitability and not and survive on to not continuously raise money, right? So any any are you a growth investor yourself? Yeah, I am a growth investor, but kind kind of Brandon, I have a question for you, right? So for example, if like Amazon's a big tech, say. Um, big guy, big market cap company, right? It's technically yeah. a growth company because it's trading at a 50, 60 uh, price to earnings. However, it's like if one day, sorry, like if the earnings come out and the stock drops 10 to 12%, right? So that means around, I think 150 billion is being pulled out of the market at one time, right? Yeah. So my question to you is more like, are, are the people who are investing in this thing like too short term to think about the profits or is it the fund managers have suddenly a different a uh, different uh, financial model to analyze that company and so the valuation goes down so they actually sell the thing because if 150 billion dollar is shed from the market cap right i don't think retail investors have 150 billion dollars yeah. you know what i mean so it's like yep. are, are the funds who the big boys are they actually selling their positions or is it more just like like short-term retail investors just like oh let's let's just sell amazon honestly i think it's a make sure because i and obviously i can't give the direct answer because they, 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 I don't have the figures, right? 
But I think, right, I think when, when retailers see the big drop, the gap down, I think yep. many of them were like paper hands or whatever they call it and then you know, just sell it. But for the funds, I think usually they are more they are mandates and they have uh, certain criteria for the companies that they hold in their, in their portfolio. So for example, Netflix, which is another fang company, which is uh, favored in the past, yep. right? Once it's earning was out and they gap down, you look at people like Bill Ackman, they just cut their portfolio Mm-hmm. Sorry, their holdings of Netflix completely just yep. because the facts change. So, so actually, actually, I think like many people like also Bill Eggman is actually a very prominent investor. He's very loud, right? He's an activist. It's a it's a billionaire, and people like shit on him because he completely exited his position and took a four hundred million dollar loss. But yep. I think he is very disciplined in his approach. So I think he released a newsletter. Sorry, a press press release that says the facts change and uh, we no longer feel that Netflix is a good fit to uh, Pershing Square, which is the hedge funds, uh, yep. hedge funds company's name, uh, fit into Pershing Square's uh, policies and mandates and style and approach to investing. So they feel that Netflix is no longer a, a decent name based on their investing approach and they just cut it out completely. So that's actually very disciplined. And uh, that's what I think makes Bill Eggman a, a killer in this scene. Right? He's very okay. disciplined. Yeah. So I think it could be that uh, because of Amazon's like you know uh, earnings slow slowed down and also their guidance is um I think weak in my opinion yeah uh, guidance towards uh next quarter's earnings so I think that I think fund managers when they look at this right, they'll think oh perhaps this company is not going to grow as much anymore for this valuation right so they probably going to take account opportunity cost and then shift and their their portfolio uh, capital allocation towards another company which they feel to meet their respective uh, criteria. Yeah, but my, I guess my question is like, if you're the fund manager, right? And then, so the earnings guidance is weak. But the thing is, you're in that position already and um, you're in the loss. So it's not that Amazon's a bad company. It's just more like they have headwinds. So doesn't it make more sense to hold that position purely because it's like, you know it's a good company. You know it's experiencing temporary headwinds. And so it's like, it's, it's going to come back. It's not going to die. So why why would they like, you know, get, get out of the position just because like they're short-term headwinds. Like doesn't, that kind of feels, you know, like it's a very short-term play. Does that make sense? Well, I think it depends um, on what the individual fund wants to do, right? So if they believe and they know, they acknowledge that um, this Amazon is going to continue with their growth in the future once the headwinds pass, I think uh, depending on their, their style of investing, they could probably hold if they're more longer term. But I think the shorter term and mid terms one, they will look at the results and then consider like other other options to invest in. So probably they would just you know move their portfolio and their capital accordingly. But when things perhaps start to change for Amazon and they see that the headwinds is uh perhaps uh gone, they could yep. like go back and yeah. So okay. it really depends on the style. Yeah. Okay, understood. Uh, before I wrap off growth investing, just like to tell you guys, uh, that I've invested into growth stocks as well. And so I, I have lost money. So I just want to give you guys heads up or like, you know, advice for this. So most of the times, if you are in the, in the, in the stock market, if you are investing into like fast growing companies and they are tech, for example, you should probably look at their valuation and not only their valuation, uh, whether they, you actually can hold that thing for at least five to 10 years because it's going to take time for that company to finally become profitable. And so uh, in a Fed raising, sorry, interest rate rising market, uh, the unprofitable companies are going to get beaten down. So just to let you guys know, 
Like, if you actually want to be super safe and, like, adhere to the simp philosophy, <laughs> technically, <laughs> you should just buy uh, profitable companies, okay? If you want to, I won't say YOLO a bit, but, like, if you want those, like, juicy 5 to 10 Xs <laughs> on your stocks, right, then you could definitely uh, do growth investing. Just that, just make sure you are, like, okay with holding that stock for 5 to 10 years. Yeah. And also to make sure you do your homework on them to make sure that they can survive, right? Yeah. So when, just when to give you guys so example, rough. yeah, like I have, I have quite a big position in Palantir and it's down, but like, I don't, I'm not too worried. Or I don't really care purely because I know that the people behind the company are extremely smart. They have a very good product that, uh, not, not, not many other companies actually have the same product. So technically there's not much competition. And so like, if I know these things, right, even though the price goes down, what, 20, 30%, for example, like, I'm not too worried about that because I'm waiting for that five to 10 year cycle. So I think like for, for even for all sorts of investing or trading, like here's where the stomach taking such hits really matters. You need to have conviction and also be emotionless. Okay, I'm moving on to the sixth style of investing, which is called the quants, right? So this essentially is extremely technical. It's like algorithmic based trading or investing. So it's all executed by like programs or uh, computers. So on usually this this type of investing they have a um, certain type of criteria, and once these criteria are triggered, right, the computer will run the program and it will execute the trade. So it's very unemotional and usually requires extreme and advanced technical knowledge and skills such as math, coding, right, and not just that you need the proper infrastructure to set it up. So for example, a high frequency trading, which is a a, a type of quant trading, right, it's it requires the execution of perhaps thousands of trades within like minutes. So this requires you, uh, if you want to do quant trading and especially frequent high frequency trading, to have very good uh, servers, fast CPUs, and I think this is this uncheap at all. You require a lot of investments, and this is and you have to fight with like the the bots and uh, the programs, the computers of like uh, other more prominent, uh, highly backed, resource-backed uh, hedge funds, right? So another another um, part of corn investing, I think, would include arbitrage. So I think it's very hard for a normal normal human retail trader to do uh, arbitrage, which is making profits without taking risks. So for one example would be like uh, Bitcoin, right? In the past where there's, the market is not very like... Uh, efficient there will be different prices of bitcoin quoted in different crypto exchanges so you would buy bitcoin from one exchange transfer it to another exchange and then um, you know sell them at a different price to perhaps make a profit and this requires uh, you to be very fast otherwise that that edge will disappear and quant investing i'm not sure if they're like you know they really outperformed the market in recent years uh, i think the only big player that's, that proves to have longevity in this game is Renaissance, right? Jim Simmons is really a crazy guy in, the, in, this, uh, in, this, in this field. So I, unless you're like a math god with crazy programming skill and you have a very deep understanding of the markets, right? I think quant investing is usually uh, out of the question. That's, that's my opinion. Yep. 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 Uh, guys, I, I have no idea what quants are about, honestly. And I couldn't care less because they underperformed the market anyway. <laughs> so uh, like I also watched a documentary before and the quants is like if your office is not even like near the exchange you're going to have like a disadvantage which doesn't make sense at all 
because it's like you are you are you basically it's a race to the bottom, right? I I think I'd rather stick the simp philosophy, <laughs> simple and your prudence, right? You just invest in good companies and they can grow over time. So guys, don't do quants unless you are smart ass and you have a PhD. Yeah. Also speaking <laughs> about advantage, right? So you need speed and you need timing and you need your underlying uh, formula or investment philosophy, whatever you integrate into your programs, right? To be very solid. So, but oh, then the thing money. is, right? Yes, you need a lot of money to, to, <laughs> yeah, you need to a lot even money. run the programs to, to ensure that yeah. they have the speed, right? Yep. So a lot of these like uh, ages that the, the quants have, right? Usually I think within a few few months or maybe a few weeks, right? Other competitors will spot it already and then it's gone. So it's actually a very, very tough game to play this, right? So I think uh, it's better as normal retailers to know to just stick to doing what you know best and just perhaps, you know, the simp way. Yep, don't, <laughs> do, don't do this, yep. guys. Follow simp. <laughs> okay, the seventh approach, uh, which is a little bit unorthodox, which is the investment and trading of art, collectibles and watches, right? You know, your Rolexes, your Patek Phillips, your Richard Mills. Your NFTs. So all of this is based on the uh, concept of scarcity, in my opinion. Luxury, status, status symbols, and limited number in the game. So all of this essentially, uh, in layman terms, uh, is waiting for the next idiot to push the price up by you selling to them. So, uh, right, this, this approach is very, uh, I would say it, it could pay off investing, especially if you look at how the prices of Rolexes have been sustained and Patek Phillips have you know, rise, risen over the years. And some of them really actually outperformed like the stock market, right? But uh, I think it's also very important to know your game very well in this uh, in this space and not over-invest. If you look at NFTs, they, they are, all, all you see publicized in the media under your big winners, right? Your bought Ape, your CryptoPunks. But you never see like the, the rug pools, people losing all their, their life savings and uh, all those projects where... Uh, the development just stops after the, the initial minting of the NFTs. Yeah, right. So you have to be very careful in this space, uh, especially since it's not it's, it's quite a lump sum of money required to invest in them in the first place, right? It's hit yep. or miss generally, yep. but there are blue chips. Yep. Do, you, do you invest in any of this? Uh... Uh, no, so I, I don't, Branson. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like this start investing is like a rich person game where you have at least yeah. $3 million in net worth or liquid cash sitting somewhere and you are just having fun. So I don't think most people should invest in it. Even though in an NFT game, I know they're like, oh, we can 5 to 10x my investment. But the thing is like, like you have no certainty whatsoever. And if there are so many rug pulls, it's just not a market that is predictable and stuff like that. So if you actually do see the big guys in the NFT game, they're either very established programmers or they already have money. So they have real businesses providing cash flow for them. So if you're following the simp investing way, uh, probably don't do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, if you can afford a Rolex and a Patek Philippe, right, you're probably not flipping them. You're probably wearing them, right? So um, yeah, just to let you guys know, don't, like try not to get rich quick. Try to get rich quick faster, but you know, get rich a bit slow, it's fine. Yeah. Capital protection is the most important thing in my opinion, right? Like yeah. For example, capital, you, you yeah. lose half your portfolio, you need, hit a return rate of 100% to get back to your original uh, capital. So I think the math is not really in your favor from, from the from the get-go, right? So capital protection is very important. And unless you have, like what Jonathan mentioned, FU money or, you know, like extreme, extreme technical knowledge yep. or you yep. know the people in this scene very well, I, I think uh, 
this this approach isn't isn't uh, feasible, right? Yeah, like I I don't know. I find it very funny because it's like people can spend three thousand dollars on a JPEG, but they somehow don't want to buy software to start a company, for example, and they don't want to like invest in themselves, <laughs> which like make, makes it very very funny. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. you see that JPEG right gives them the the flex uh, in a way. <laughs> Yeah, so, but I, I don't know what the flex gives you because your your friends don't really care as well. <laughs> They're like, true. oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, don't, don't play. The, the, the simp way is basically to be prudent. So, like, you know, don't do not do stuff that, like, really does not matter, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now, the next, the next style, the DCA people. So, the dollar cost averaging. These are best suited for people who are extremely busy don't know what they're doing or just too lazy, right? So these people, they just allocate a certain amount of their amount of money every month or year or quarter, depending on their preference into buying, um, say, the stock index, the S&P, for example, or some mega cap companies. So they buy and hold and usually do not borrow the time, the market in a sense, and just keep, yep. you know, holding it, which I think is a very uh, good Simple way. way. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you... Look at how the returns of the um the indices have been throughout time. It is pretty solid. And if you look at some uh, YOLO traders, your your FX friends, some of them may have blown their accounts, right? So I think this this is a longevity game. Right. So I think I will advocate the DCA for people who are busy, don't understand what they're doing, or just too lazy, right? I think it's a very good approach. I think even I am doing it myself in a way by just like, you know taking from time to time or just like randomly buy into the indexes and just hold it there, hold it there. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not in finance but I heard someone say before it's like if you convinced everybody in the world to just DCA technically fund managers don't have a job or like most people don't have a job. So I, 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 I yeah because it's like you, if you're going to tell your investors that hey just buy this and don't do anything for 20 years uh, the brokerages are not going to make the commissions that they want. And then a lot of people are going to be unemployed, basically. <laughs> so um, the slow way is the boring way, but the boring way is the predictable and most yep. surefire way to get rich. Yeah. So even if you DCA like uh, during bad timings, right? I think over the course of time, your returns will actually still be better than uh, what some hedge fund managers are offering. So I yep. think this is a really, it's a low cost, uh, good, effective and sustainable approach to investing. No, this, yep. is, this is the simp way. <laughs> this is the simp way, yeah. That's why we named this simp investing, guys. <laughs> okay, the simp way, get it? Yeah. Okay, and the last, the last, uh, in my opinion, the last style of investing is the options and der- derivatives traders, right? So this is actually more intricate and sophisticated. sophisticated. There's a lot of things to account for and it's not very, very beginner friendly, right? So, options etc they're like the rights for you to buy uh for example a company at a certain price by a certain date so those are call options put options are the rights to sell the company uh, at a certain price by a certain date so this uh, derivatives uh, i won't go into too much detail in this episode it's usually used for like uh, say for leverage purposes and also for hedging protection strategies so it's to protect your downside and a lot of things have to be accounted for in this uh 
for this uh, derivative, derivatives, especially options. You have to account for time to expiry, etc., which will eat up the value of your options, by the way. And all the other um, constituents, which, which, which are called Greeks. So uh, if you have the time, you can go search it up. But this is very complicated, right? Like there is an entire university module uh, mm. that's based on it, which I took in school as well. Yep. So here are where like their stories of big sudden winners come from. The the degens, the YOLOs, if you, if you go to Wall Street Bet, you see a lot of them like you know bet, betting big on options, right? So you can, you can make like overnight millionaires. But at the same time, the losses, right? It's pretty, pretty uh scary. Overnight but bankruptcy. The thing, yeah. <laughs> so the thing is with, with options, right, I think the losses is also uh, limited and predicted in a way so the only losses you can make right is if especially if you if you're, you're if you're an option buyer it's the amount of premium that you paid to pay for the for the options but if you're a seller you have to be careful i know of a friend who blew up his entire account because he sold uh option on uh, gamestop <laughs> so his uh, entire it, account his entire account got blew up how how big uh, how, how young is he uh he's our, he's our age but uh so there's still time for him to do you know, like um make okay, it back. So twenty but... he, when he blew it up, how how young was he? He was like what twenty three? He blew it up in early twenty twenty one. Which is twenty four. Yeah. Okay. The whole GameStop thing is oof. Just another lesson learned, right? Don't go against mania. Right. Yeah, and, and, and we don't we don't hear about these type of people in the news, right? Yeah, you don't see them, you only look at the winners, you don't look at the losers. Yeah. The losers are never glorified. So to recap, uh, the different style of investing that uh, we uh, advocate, uh, which are number one, fundamental and value investing. So this is one that I think uh, all of us should at least try to do from time to time to understand businesses. It will really help you in understanding businesses, understanding business models as you read the annual reports, etc. So I think fundamental value investing is good. Secondly, uh, technical analysis which is charting of price uh, and then you just you know, play based on the, the, the chart patterns and movements and the indicators. Number three will be sector rotation, which is a thematic approach to investing. Number four is macro, where you take into account geopolitical news, um, market economic indicators. And number, f- uh, number five would be growth investing. So you look into the growth, five, uh, fast growing tech names and uh, bet on them towards for innovation or perhaps for them to oh, take take market share in a certain industry on the fast growing industry. And number six would be the quants, the computers, the algorithms, the intricate math. Number seven uh, will be the art, collectibles, watches, NFTs, etc. Uh, number eight will be the DCA, the dollar cost averaging. And number nine, the options and der- derivatives traders. So I think we covered a lot of ground in this episode and I think we would like to call it uh, here. So if you, if you like us, uh, give us a follow on Spotify. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and also give us a follow on Instagram at Sim Investing. So you can reach out to us, uh, give us feedback, uh, maybe share on us if you want, and talk about anything in general. Yeah, so I think that's it, John. Thank you, guys. Yep, thank you guys for listening to this episode and hope to hear, uh, hope to, yeah, hope to see you soon. Okay. Hello.